Super Talk Mississippi media production. All right. It is 14 weeks until the first uh, football weekend of the season for, for SEC teams. So we are ready to start our, uh, our previews up. And as Joel wanted to do, we're going to start with the defending national champions, the LSU Tigers. Our friend Brody Miller joins us from The Athletic. There was no more interesting team in college football last year, even you know, despite the national title, than LSU. And on top of that, I mean, you just had so many characters, so many storylines. From, from, from your standpoint, you had, a, you had a lot to work with. How interesting is LSU this year? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything will ever match up with just, like you said, I mean, you nailed it, the the, the characters, the storylines. I mean, I don't think there's ever, I can't think of any team in recent memory that just has more, just, yeah, different absurd narratives and all those things. But but I think this year, I mean, it's, it's not going to be last year in the storyline sense, but I think from a just a pure week-to-week, you know, going into the season point of view, it's almost, it's almost just as interesting because then you start thinking like, you know, is it which was it was it was it Burrow and Joe Brady or did they actually figure this offense out? You know, can they actually make that sustainable? You know, can can they replace Joe Burrow with Miles Brennan? You know, is, is Dave Aranda the great defensive coordinator? Can Bo Queeney keep some of that going? I think I just think there's so many new questions that luckily, at least from a reporter standpoint, it's uh it's given me plenty to discuss. And then you still have your your big names, right? Jamar Chase is probably the best receiver in college football. Mm-hmm. Derek Stigley Jr. is probably the best quarterback in college football. So there's still a good amount of talent on this team, but of course it's it's never going to be 2019 again. Well, you sort of hit on the first thing. I think this is when people look at LSU this year, this is the first question they're going to ask about Joe Brady and Joe Burrow. Who is easier to replace, and do they have the pieces in place to replace either one of them? It's a great question. I mean, I think I think in theory, neither is easy. But Joe Brady's definitely easier to replace, just in the sense that, you know, for example, Joe Burrow. It's not like he brought in this talent and then he can leave it there. You know, Joe Brady, as much as you know, they're losing his creativity and his play calling and some of those things. He, what they needed from him was somebody to bring this new offense and bring this new scheme and teach Steve Ensminger kind of how to run the show. And because Steve Ensminger, they like him as a play caller, they like him as a coach. He just needed to catch up scheme-wise. So at least with Joe Brady, the playbook didn't go anywhere. So that's still there, and they can, in theory, still kind of keep that going. Joe Burrow, you just you can't replicate that. I don't think you can. You know, no recruiting or anything can get somebody to that that just has that one that talent, two that personality, that ability to make bad situations great ones. You know, you, you just, that just comes around. You know, once every every few years. So. Yeah, I mean, Miles Brennan is certainly a guy who was a decent recruit. He's got a big arm. He's got talent. But I mean, I expect him to be a relatively successful LSU quarterback. But if you're saying, you know, replace Joe Burrow, it's just he's not going to. I mean, if I'm just being honest, he's not going to come back close to what to what Joe Burrow did, and and that's still probably pretty good. One thing that outside the LSU bubble that I wondered, I think a lot of other people did too. Of the play calling and of of that offense, how what was if you could assign a percentage to Imzinger and to, to, to Brady, what would it have been? Yeah, I'd say, so Joe Brady was basically in charge of third downs and red zone play calling. Those were the ones he was definitely in charge of. And then and then on top of that, there, there were plenty of times he'd have an idea and Steve Ensmere would listen to him or, or maybe Steve every now and then would be like, hey, what are you thinking on this one? And, and Brady would always have a play call. But, but, I, but I think in terms of the day-to-day responsibility, I think that was kind of the breakdown. So... I guess if I'm going off that, I think it's fair to say Enzinger probably called, I don't know, 75% of the plays off the top of my head would be a decent guess. But but Brady was definitely, I mean, I don't want to understate what Brady did. Brady was definitely 
a massive, massive part of what they did and, and definitely was a key part of kind of all their game planning and schematic changes. So I don't want to make it sound like, oh, they still have most of their play calling. I mean, that's a, that's a big loss. But I do think Steve Ensminger, like I said, I, I do think highly of him as a play caller. I do think there's a lot of respect for him in that building. So I guess maybe you, know, you lose Brady, but you keep what he brought you, and then you add in Scott Linehan, who's a very different line of thinking. But you know that's even more ideas in the room in theory if you're playing devil's advocate. Two first round picks gone from this offense as well, beyond Burrow, and that's uh, you know Justin Jefferson and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who really was really I thought was one of the key cogs for for LSU this season ago. He was sort of you know if, if Burrow was the uh, the car, I thought I thought that you know if you wanted to make another reference, he's sort of like the truck. He he hauled he hauled everything around for for LSU. Who replaces those guys? I know LSU recruits well. I know they've got skill position talent. There's probably a, a laundry list of four and five star guys waiting to take those roles. But who are, who are going to get first crack at them? Yeah, and you know, and I think your description of Edward Delaire kind of summarizes why he's he is hard to replace because. Well, I mean, if we're being honest, no, none of us expected him to have the year right. he had. So maybe, maybe it's worth mentioning that before I say I don't think anyone coming in can really come in and be that guy like he was. And maybe I'll be wrong again. But yeah, I mean, I think they, you know, replacing Justin Jefferson, they feel pretty confident about. I mean, you still have Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall, who, if things go right, they both could be first round picks. They both should be first or second round picks. And they like a lot of the guys behind him. You know, they love incoming freshman Keishon Butte. He can beat there. They're really high on uh, Racy McMath. He's like a six foot three, two hundred thirty pound, just kind of scored against athlete. State last year. Yep, yep, and and he's just a really, you know, he's a really physical guy. I think he's probably the front runner right there. Trey Palmer's a speed demon kind of guy they could go with. So I think they love their, they, they feel good about at least five or six guys, the receiver that they're not too worried about it. And that's not even mentioning Eric Gilbert, who's the five star tight end, the highest rated tight end in twenty seven sports history. So he's going to come in and. Sure, his position is tight end, but really, I think he'll play a lot of slots. So they feel good about replacing the from the pass catching point of view. But running back, it's going to be by committee. They've made that much pretty clear. They have John Emery, the former five star freshman, who just hasn't quite hit that potential yet. But he's going to be a sophomore. There's Tyreon Davis Price, who is probably had the most production last year. Kind of your old school LSU kind of bowling balls running back. Mm-hmm. And then there's Chris Curry, who is a huge kind of you know, for lack of a better term, Marshawn Lynch kind of back. And he surprisingly got the start in the Peach Bowl, and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was kind of banged up. So he kind of rose up the depth chart, which surprised a lot of us. And apparently he's in the driver's seat right now. But I don't think any of those guys are going to come in and be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, but they do like all three of them in different ways. You know, it seems funny, Brody, to say this now, but it wasn't all that long ago that at least – I'll just speak for me. I don't want to put words in anybody else's mouth, though I think others (laughs) probably shared this opinion – that didn't have a lot of faith in Ed Orgeron and, and, and his no. ability to be a, a head coach. He, he kind of had a, had the reputation for always, I guess, having a, a spoon in everybody's pot. You know, he, he was in everybody's kitchen a little bit, and, and it kind of seems like in, in recent years, last couple of years in particular, he's kind of become that that manager and that overall just good head coach. Um, you, you spoke about Aranda being gone, of course. Joe Brady being gone, of course. Joe Burrow's gone now. Is there any danger of him kind of, I guess, micromanaging things going going back, I guess, to the Ed Orgeron of old, or or is he is he now at the point where he is a legitimate, outstanding college football coach? Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating question and one that I mean, sure, I think we all have to say right now, yes, he's a very good coach at this point, he's won a title, but but I mean, you're absolutely right. These next two to three years will really give us an answer about where he he really stands in some of those lists people will make. You know, 
the thing, and it makes it so fascinating, is if you ask me what Ed Ogeron's best strength as a coach is, you know, people would point to recruiting or they'll point to motivation and all those things. But I would say his number one greatest strength is, which is the exact opposite of what it was at Ole Miss, is he listens. You know, he, he's not, you know, most coaches, you know this, I mean, they come in and they get a head coach job or they're coming from a big tree and they think, you know, this is how we do things. I'm going to do this how we do it because this is where we've been successful the last place they were and all those things. And that's just how they do it. They think they're the smartest guy in the room, right? And I think his greatest strength in the LSU run has been he is just open to anything. He assumes there's people who know better than him, and he's learned how to delegate. So, you know, when the sports science staff comes in with all these things about, you know, cutting down practice time, he listens. Or when Joe Brady comes in with all these ideas, he listens. And I just think – I really think that is his greatest strength. But you're you're right. I mean, if, if you just you can't help but wonder, can human nature take over when you just won a national championship and you're replacing all these guys? You just don't know the answer there. But my gut is he. I think he's learned this is. I think he understands this is why he got to where he is right now because he's changed and because of all those things. But I think so. But then you know you go back to. You know, you're replacing Dave Aranda, and, and he let Dave do his thing, and I don't think Ed Ogeron actually agreed with a lot of. Dave Randa's overall defensive principles and philosophies, but but he trusted him and he understood that. But then he hired a guy like Bo Pelini, who I think is exactly what Ogeron wants in the defense, which is kind of telling in its own way, because this was really his first one where he was like, this is what I want. So maybe that is an insight into maybe he is getting back to that. I'm not going to speculate that, but there is that chance, and it's going to be fascinating. Let's talk about Polinia and that LSU defense. You know, I, again, you know that the talent's not the issue. They have Stingley, who basically erases an entire half of the field uh, for any offense that he that he's facing. But what will that defense look like this year? You know, Miranda had been there for so long. You know, you just sort of gotten used to that that philosophy. Polini has been there before. He knows the, the he knows his way around Baton Rouge, obviously. But what's he going to do defensively uh, this year? Yeah, you know, I mean, obviously we know the offense is going to take a big step back, but I have a gut feeling that defense is actually going to take a huge step forward just because, okay, I mean, I think the defensive – well, I mean, first I'll go to your question what they're going to do. I mean, they're going to go back to a four-man front, and this is what I was kind of referring to with what Ogeron really wants out of a defense. He's kind of let this out over the last few months is that deep down he always wanted it to be an attacking four-man front, four guys getting vertical upfield and making plays in the backfield, like his old Miami defenses in the 90s and 80s and all that. That's what that's what he wants, and I think that's what Queen going to do. He wants two high safeties and more of a you know kind of pressing, aggressive kind of cornerback play up front with those two high you know traffic cops in the back. That's what he wants, and that's what Pelini's going to do. Which is you know which is a decent little departure from what Dave Rain's done. But why when I, why I'm high on this defense is I think it's a defense well built for that because I think this defensive line. I'm not going to go. You never know. I'm not going to necessarily say the best in the SEC, but it's it's one or two. I think. I mean, that defensive line is pretty loaded this year. I think Tyler Sheldon's probably the best nose tackle in the SEC right now off the top of my head. I think they you know, they bring back Glenn Logan, who's a three-year starter at defensive line. You bring back Neil Farrell, who was basically a co-starter last year. Apu Aiko was a co-starter at nose tackle last year. I mean, they're pretty much, with the four-man front, they're pretty much six deep, just a defensive tackle of guys who they would genuinely be happy starting. you got a little more question mark at the end spots, but they have a lot of talent there. So I think the line could be loaded. The secondary, as you know, is loaded with Stingley. Cordell Slott was basically a starter last year and looked really good. Five-star Elias Ricks is coming in a cornerback there, too. So you're, you're good at corner. Safety, you bring back Jacoby Stevens and Todd Harris. And, you know, Todd Harris missed all last year with a torn ACL, but he was basically a starter going into the year. You bring in a lot of, you know, some of those young guys are developing. 
So you, you feel great about the front and the back, and the question purely was linebacker, right? And so you're replacing all four starting linebackers. It's a huge question mark. And then they came, and then they brought in Jabril Cox. So, I mean, you take your biggest question mark, and then you add a guy who, you know, reportedly would have been a second- or third-round pick out of North Dakota State. Now he's plugging in as your top linebacker. Suddenly you just feel so much better about that whole group because, I mean, you know, these days it's, it's really – they're not really running a 4-3, right? They're running a 4-2-5. And, and they're basically going to have Jabril Cox and then some variation of Damone Clark, who's a rising junior, who is like a 250-pound just freak athlete they're really high on. Or maybe Marcel Brooks, that kind of safety linebacker hybrid, maybe he plays. But the point is, once you have Cox there, you just feel better about any of your options behind him. So I actually really, I don't know if there's any clear hole on the defense. The offense might have holes. I don't see a huge one on the defense. Well, it sounds like they're really going to have to coach up those diamonds in the rough there, Brody. <laughs> going to have to really get some de- be that developmental program that LSU's known for in this situation. What's what's realistic for LSU this year? I mean, I, I don't see them getting back into the playoff, but I think I've learned you know I shouldn't be doubting Ed Orgeron either. Where where where, where would be a realistic and acceptable outcome for LSU this season? Yeah, and that's why it's worth me saying, despite all the positive things I did just say about the team, I do think there's there's a ceiling here. And, you know, I think realistically, I just keep going back to, I mean, you know, life in the SEC West, right? I mean, I always point to last year's Auburn team, where Auburn went 9-3 and three last year, but I don't think anyone would deny that was the top 10-11 team in the country. I mean, that's a good football team. It didn't matter you went 9-3 and because the schedule they played. I mean, I think with LSU's schedule, I think 9-3 and three is probably the most realistic thing to expect. Because, I mean, if you go 9-3, and three, that means you probably beat Texas, Auburn, you know, A&M, or something in that order. You know, you, you means your losses were only Alabama and then some variation of Florida or, you know, A&M or Texas or one of those teams. So I, I think 9-3 and three would still probably be a top-10 football team. I don't think it would be fair to really criticize that. But, but I think if we're asking what everyone's expecting, I think 10-2 I think and two is the real goal. I think if anyone was being really blunt with you, I think 10-2 and two people would be like, hey, just won a championship. You're reloading, and you still are top, you know, a New Year's Six team, and all that. I think people will be really happy with that. But if you ask my opinion, I think I think nine and three is the most likely. If they win ten, it means Miles Brennan really probably came in. It was the real deal right away. Is this program built to get back to the championship soon, or was that sort of a flash in the pan? They're still going to be good, obviously, but was yeah. was last year sort of you know, a freak occurrence, and they're they're still behind Alabama in the pecking order. I think my answer is that it's probably a cop out. It's somewhere in the middle because, yeah, of course, that was, there's a little bit of lightning in a bottle there last season, and you'd be lying to say otherwise. I mean, things don't just align like that that quickly out of nowhere. That just doesn't happen. So, of course, that's a little bit of lightning in a bottle. But I do think Ogeron, the way he's recruiting, the way he seems to have a plan for things, the way that it just seems like, don't get me wrong, I feel like Alabama's the top dog, but the way it just seems like the margins are getting smaller. Yeah, I think LSU can get back. I, I don't think they're going to become the next Clemson or anything. I don't think they're going to become the next Alabama. But I, I do think they can be, I mean, maybe Ohio State's almost a decent model of just kind of a team that every two or three years can probably be right in the mix. You know, I think that's probably a fair expectation of you're not Clemson, Alabama, but you are firmly in that second that second tier of four or five teams that can sincerely win a national title. And So my answer to your question is, yeah, I can totally see O'Jean Wang another championship in the next few years I, I would i put my money on it probably probably not just the way college football works but i could totally see it mississippi state travels to lsu october 24th what's the name of the restaurant in baton rouge where everything's in pie form 
Uh, that is Elsie's Plate and Pie. It's my favorite. I know. I heard you talk. We're, I'm going to go there when, when I come down. We, we can go, we'll grab some lunch there on, on that I Friday. I love that, yeah. Absolutely. My hot take, though, is the pies are amazing, but my favorite thing there, believe it or not, is actually the burger. It's just perfect, and I can't figure out why. I don't know about having a burger, going down to, to Baton Rouge and eating a burger, but I'm going to take your oh, word trust for me, I know. I understand. I'll take your word for it. We'll give it a try. <laughs> There's an answer here, guys. What's, have, have, why don't we have both? Yes. There you go. All well right. Well put, Joel. Well put. <laughs> All right. Bernie Miller from The Athletic covering the LSU Tigers, man. We'll talk to you again in the season, I'm sure, man. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.